This episode is sponsored by the Why Do We Say That podcast. How many times have we stopped this episode to figure out the etymology of some old-timey word or phrase? <sighs> if I had a dime for every time. Why Do We Say That is the podcast for anyone who's ever asked. Well, why do we say that? It's a father and son podcast with your hosts Scott and Liam Kelly diving deep into etymology. I loved the episode on historical insults titled, Your Mother Wears Army Boots. How dare you disparage my mother, you blasted snollygoster. You'll learn... (laughs) (laughs) It's a word. It's a fun word. You'll learn about these idioms and more on why do we say that. And you can even submit your own suggestions for words and phrases you want to know more about. Check out Why Do We Say That wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by the History Encoded Podcast. Naturally, we love history podcasts. But it can be hard to find one that's more than just a dry retelling of too many names and dates where you practically feel like you need to take notes. It's kind of like, Professor, will this be on the test? It's in the syllabus. Uh, Nobody reads that. The History Encoded podcast looks at the drama of history, not confusing casts and lists of names and dates. It's all about the rise and fall of people, places, and ideas. History Encoded makes it a mission to explore boundaryless stories instead of the same old litany of Roman or British or American history. It's the history of everywhere and everything, including things that affect us all, like religion. So check out the History Encoded podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's old-timey crimey. I'm Christy. And I'm Amber. And we are here this week with your historical spooky ween crimes because it is spooky ween. Indeed. And instead of the usual Patreon spiel, I would like to ask, especially of our new listeners, which thank you for joining us, if you would tell a friend or two about us. We would really appreciate that. It would help us to grow get more listeners, and you want more people to hear our tales of crime, spooky or otherwise. So if you would just do us that tiny little favor, we would be so appreciative. But we are also just happy that you're here. We are happy you're here. But tell your friends. Yes. They can be here too. Yes. So we are going to be talking this week about Jean Grenier. Which, I'm curious, Amber, do you have a a title for your show notes? (laughs) I do. My show notes are titled, Kids Taste Better. (laughs) That's good. My title is, so did he have a third nipple or is it creepy to ask that about a (laughs) 13-year-old? We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. (laughs) So, Jean Grenier was born in 1590 in the Dordogne region of France. He was a shepherd by the time he was 13, working for a farmer named Pierre Combeau. Now, I would like to let you all know that this is just the first of many Pierres to come. 
Lots of Pierre. We had the Henryist episode last week, and this week we have the Pierreist episode. Yes. Well, and even the Patreon was a very Sarah-centric episode. Yes, it was. There was lots of Sarahs. We're just getting this deluge of names, all the same name in these episodes. So, Jean Grenier's mother had died at an unknown time. His father, also named Pierre, had remarried, and Jean Grenier also had a little brother. As far as the actual facts of his family, that's about what we know. Although what stories Grenier will tell about his family later is uh, going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. So Jean and his father, they didn't get along very well. There was definite abuse. And that seemed to culminate in an incident during Lent. Three months before the stuff that would make Jean Grenier kind of more well-known. When uh, Jean ate some cabbage and milk. Or more probably cabbage and bacon, sources very wildly. It was Lent, so he wasn't supposed to be eating the bacon. He'd gotten it from the neighbors, and his dad gave him a beating as a result. How dare you? Yes. The so. fish market won't do as well this year because of you. <laughs> yeah. So Jean had to run away to escape his dad, with his general plan being just to roam around trying to find work, or if he couldn't find that, charity. So either working or begging, one of the two. This was in 1603 in La Roche Chalet in southwestern France. One thing about Jean Grenier is he was a bit behind developmentally, both on the physical and the intellectual level, and it's very probable that the physical abuse at home and the malnutrition contributed to that. Mm -hmm. Yes, eating is very important, especially as you're growing. Yes, very much. Also, not being hit. Another important thing. So, some girls, they were teenaged cowherds, were doing their job and herding the livestock and chit-chatting about the latest goings-on in town, and they got to the topic of the wolf attacks that had happened recently. Even in broad daylight, some very ballsy wolves. Ballsy wolves. Now, wolf attacks were not uncommon at all in this area. The wars of religion had only ended about five years before after going on for 37 years. Wow. Yes. And they had caused a lot of bloodshed, so the wolves were really rampant in this region, especially around Bordeaux, which is about an hour from La Roche-Chalet. And these weren't just attacks on the livestock that were being guarded. There were attacks on humans. In fact, in one case, there was an infant victim snatched right out of its crib in its house, and the wolf just went into the bushes and had dinner. Which kind of shades of the Lindy Chamberlain case. If you uh, the maybe the dingo ate your baby, you know. I was just you know I was just reading about that last night. That's funny, <laughs> but if you think about it. We have a very similar situation here where you have people more willing to believe that a person would kill than that an animal would kill. But, okay, so here's the thing. Animals don't have morals. They only see food and eat the food. Like, there is no discussion about, should I do this? It is, oh, hey, food. I'm hungry. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Like, to me, it's almost more believable that it's an animal than a person because you would assume that most people, maybe not us because we do true crime podcasts, <laughs> but most people you, you would think would be like, no, I'm not going to hurt this helpless baby. 
but a wolf would be like, easy food. Yeah, and my recollection of the Lindy Chamberlain case is that the theory they came up with, because they couldn't find the body, was that she had killed her infant with fingernail clippers. Yes, yes. And the reason I was reading about it, actually, was because they did go back and actually find the baby's dress outside of the dingo den. And the the mother did eventually get out of jail because they're like, maybe you're right. Maybe a dingo did eat your baby. Our bad. Yeah, after years of torturing this woman by the the legal system who had just lost her baby in a horrific fashion. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just... It's strange how even a a more modern case is sort of analogous to this one. Yeah. (laughs) It's very strange. I guess people never change. No, they don't. So also, as Jean Grenier is talking to these girls, one of them had firsthand experience with the, the wolf attacks. Her name was Marguerite Poirier. She was also 13. She'd been out herding cows when a wolf attacked her. It ripped her dress and her cloak and scratched at her face. She still had some scars, actually, from that. She, she was still rocking those scars. She fought back. She smacked the wolf with her walking stick, and it retreated enough that she and her cows could escape. So she's, she's very conscientious. Good worker. She cares about the livestock. And she did actually work with Grenier, too. He herded the sheep, and she herded the cows, apparently. I have, I have a weird... Okay, so I don't, I don't know where this came from. But my notes has that she beat it off with her shepherd's staff, and then it sat up on its hind legs like a begging dog and gave her a look of rage. She said that it looked like a wolf, but it wasn't. It was shorter and stouter with a stumpy tail, a small head, and red hair. Yeah, she said it was like reddish instead of the usual like gray that we might think of a wolf. Yeah, it's an interesting description. We could also look to, say, the fact that in a a heated, adrenaline-filled moment, your recollection might not be super perfect. Yeah, eyewitness accounts are usually the worst ones. Yeah, yeah. And there's just so much going on, and you're just concerned with preserving your life and safety, and apparently also the cows. So I did consider, I was like, well, what about other animals? Like maybe, you know, coyotes. But coyotes are native to North America, so not coyotes. Definitely not. So little Jean Grenier goes up to these girls, and he has a proposal to make. But first he needs their input. He asks them which of the three is the most beautiful, and then says, because I want to marry her, so if it is you, I want to marry you. Now, we might look askance at that, like he's trying to get in their pants or in their skirts. Knickers? (laughs) No, I don't think they'd be wearing knickers. Maybe they'd be wearing yeah, knickers. We'll pantaloons. Pantaloons. Let's go with pantaloons, yes. But some historians look at his family life and interpret him as him just wanting to start a family because he doesn't really have one right now. So there it may have been a more pure request, you know, like I want to marry you and start a family. It also, it could be more of the, you know, I, I want to bang you. <laughs> we don't know. That's still a weird, like, which of you is the prettiest? Because that's the one I want. And he also wants them to decide amongst themselves. Yeah. Like, well, I'm definitely the prettiest, but I'm also very charitable. So, Marguerite, I think that it should be you. (laughs) And the girls basically do the 17th century French equivalent of flipping their hair and rolling their eyes. There's there's a very as-if vibe here. 
And so they just go right on with their conversation, kind of ignoring him in that sort of like awkward way. Grenier does not pick up on the hint. And they start talking about the wolf attacks again. And once again, he's trying to really insert himself into this conversation. And he's also desperate to impress them. So he says that no wolf could scare him. I ain't afraid of no wolf. (laughs) And the girls are like, okay, sure, Jan. But he insists, I'm not afraid of any wolves. And then just keeps on escalating it and escalating it. Every time they disbelieve him, it seems to prod him to bigger and bigger boasts. Until finally he says, well, why would I be afraid of wolves when I myself am a werewolf? They still seem a little skeptical. So he decides to add a little detail or two, a little flourish to ground the lie, sort of. So he says his diet of choice is children. Quote, boys and girls are much more pleasant and delicate to eat. And he said he had turned into a wolf specifically to attack Marguerite. So it seems like maybe he actually does know which of the girls is the prettiest. (laughs) I have killed dogs and drunk their blood, but little girls taste better. Their flesh is tender and sweet, their blood rich and warm. I have eaten many a maiden, as I have been on my raids together with my nine companions. I am a werewolf. Aha! If the sun were to set, I would soon fall on one of you and make a meal of you. <laughs> yes, he's got, uh, he's got quite a boast about him, doesn't he? He does. And when girls say, eat me, that is not what they mean. Exactly. Yes, yes. The girls, even though they kind of don't believe him, they still think, well, maybe we should go get an adult. So they go to the authorities and turn him in. He is brought in, and there's an inquest on May 29th with a total of three witnesses, but only two have testimony and names that are in the record. So Grenet himself may have been considered the third witness. We're not really sure. So here's Marguerite's testimony. She said that her encounter with Grenier when he came up to her and her friends was not her first. She said, I worked with him, and he talked all the time about transforming into a wolf for the purposes of eating children and dogs. He bragged about having eaten a boy and a girl already. Then she gave her report of being attacked by a beast when she was tending the livestock, as we said, and then that's when she stated that it had some physical differences from your standard issue wolf. Next up was Jean Gaborio. She was also 13, and she had been with Marguerite and the girls when they had that uh, super awkward conversation with Grenier that led us to this point. She recounted that conversation. She also said that Grenier had, when she commented on his skin being dirty, replied that the reason for that was because he liked to wear a red wolf skin he'd gotten from a man he called Pierre Laboreau. Another Pierre. Pierre number three. So she tells the inquest all about Pierre Laboreau, but she doesn't really know him. She just has what she's heard of him from, from Jean Grenier. He wears an iron chain around his neck when he's in his house, and his house is basically hell on earth. Quote, there were people in chairs who were burned, others in beds who were in flames, and still others who were roasted and put on spits, and still others who were in a big pot. Hmm. That's not a very homey environment. 
Uh, it depends on your definition of homie, I, mean, I guess. Maybe he has a live, laugh, love somewhere up I bet on the wall. That, I bet. <laughs> live, laugh, roast on spits. As for the wolf skin, she reported that Jean had said that's what turned him into a wolf, although he could choose to be any animal he wanted with the wolf skin, just apparently didn't have much imagination. So he had told her his wolf schedule. I didn't know wolves were on schedules. I know, I know. It's very strange. He, quote, he runs every Monday, Friday, and Saturday when the moon is low, one hour per day only, toward evening and toward morning. Trying to figure out exactly when that is. When the moon is low, one hour per day, toward evening and toward morning? Or. I think it's an and or. I think it should be an and or, yeah. So, like... The moon just has to be low on the horizon, whether it's just coming up or just going down. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then she talks about how he had also said that he was part of a pack of wolves or a coven of wolves, as he might have put it, and had even given her some of their names. So the inquest finishes up. The authorities arrest him. And he denies nothing. He goes all in. I love it. He made a full confession without the need for torture. Yes, exactly. I love this time period. Usually we torture. I mean, we can, can we still torture? <laughs> Is that allowed? I mean, he's made the confession, but I was really looking forward to the torture. What am I going to do with all these tools I shined up? Yeah. Don't make all my work be for naught. Just, just, can I, can I just torture him a little bit? Be more difficult. Yes. So he confessed without any duress. He does break down crying when he's confessing. A few days later, we go back to court and we learn a little bit more about him. His father was Pierre, as we said, and he was from Saint-Antoine-des-Pezoux, which is about 12 miles south. We get some conflicting information about his father. His neighbors hold him in high regard, but he also has this nickname. And there's a kind of linguistic trail to follow here through the nickname and then the translator's version of the nickname. The nickname is Croquant, which translates to crisp or crunchy. But the translator who first, I, I think the translator who first put this all into English, decides to go with revolutionary. And uh, Lou Rurikby says in his essay on the topic that we should probably take that to mean that Pierre Grenier was a difficult man. So He was crunchy. He was crunchy. He was a crunchy guy. He was a crunchy revolutionary. And the stepmother had also left Pierre, and Jean tells the court this, that my, my stepmother left. We'll get into the reasons why soon. It's, it's something. So, But Jean's telling his story, and he says, at first, he met a weird dude named Pierre du Tilher. Pierre number four. Mm-hmm. I'm not even on, I'm only on page three of my notes, and I've already got four Pierres. He met Pierre du Tillier in the forest just that March, and then he backpedals and he says, actually, it was three years ago, I met him and he introduced me to this weird dude in the forest who kissed me with his cold mouth, and there was some initiation ritual that happened where he marked my skin and we had some wine. Some details of that, which the mark was on his left buttock. And it had no feeling when he was in the devil's power, as it's said to have been. But once he got out from under Satan's influence, it had feeling again. So this was a devil's mark or a witch's mark, which will, I have a whole thing on that. But it was meant to mark him as one of Satan's. I didn't realize it was on his butt. I, th I had that it was on his thigh. 
butt and thigh can be very close to, I mean, they are close together. If it was on his upper thigh or his lower buttocks. Well, I bet they just didn't want to say buttock because it was improper. Possibly, yeah. It was on his ass. It was on his ass. Yeah. That's amazing. So do you think this actually happened or do you think he got sodomized in the forest and then was like, but now I have powers? I think actually what happened is that they were trying to lead him into more of a confession of witchcraft, that this happened, this all happened via Satan and witchcraft in order to kind of pile on that charge and also possibly make this more understandable to them. I mean, I know they had stories of werewolves, but it feels like witches were much more (laughs) of a hot topic. Well, yeah, you could burn them. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I think. And they kind of led him to this. There's a possibility that something bad happened to him in the woods. There's also a possibility they just got a boil on his butt and ran with it. Could be. (laughs) So, Or, you know, that's his third nipple. So, (laughs) So then he goes right into confession mode. And now the list is longer than what he had told Jean. Now he's attacked a dog, eaten two little girls on separate occasions, and ate a baby. And then he ropes his dad into it. He says his dad helped him get into the wolf skin sometimes, and then that process is described. He takes off his clothes, rubs himself with grease, and then dons the wolf skin. The grease seems to be very specifically brought into the discussion by the court in order to proclaim this witchcraft, because The grease is witch's ointment that helps, quote, transport the body and mind together. And it came in a pot. And apparently, pots are also evil, according to these people. Oh. Pots are evil. It's, It's also interesting because there seemed to be a common belief, at least with some people, that witches and werewolves were natural enemies. So if this court, I don't know if the people of this court held that belief, but if they did, it's really interesting, the cognitive dissonance where they're like, you're a werewolf, let's bring some witchcraft into this. Yeah. So. Probably witches. Then he says that his dad had a wolf skin of his very own, and they went out and cavorted together as werewolves once, and had themselves a nice goose girl together. I think that that would be a somebody taking care of geese. <laughs> Not a, a girl who's also a like, goose. Yeah, like not a cow herd, but a goose herd, I guess. If they're baby geese, she's a gosling herd. Or would it be <laughs> geese? <laughs> geese herd? I guess it depends on how many. Who geese? herds geese? <laughs> I herd ducks sometimes. I'm a duck herd. <laughs> Weird words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I guess you have a right to confront your accusers. Grenier got to say these things to his father's face, although he seemed to kind of back down from that particular accusation whenever his dad was around. Then he gives us the reason that his stepmother left his father, and that's because she was freaked out by some of his behavior. Said behavior being vomiting up dog paws and baby hands. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that would freak me out. That would certainly freak me out, but I'm wondering if these people have ever even vomited before that that they think this is possible. I mean, it just seems like you would kind of look askance at that. Yeah. Later, his stepmother and his dad say that they actually were still in a relationship. She just had to leave to take care of some property. That's really all it was. And then Jean made up this whole story 
to try to continue to bolster his accusations against his dad. That that was a very troubled relationship and would continue to be so. Well, yeah, but I mean, his dad used to beat the hell out of him. And he's like, well, if I'm going down, here's an opportunity to take this fucker with me. Yeah, right. And I think that was probably a lot of it. It was like, no, I learned it from my dad. He eats kids too. It's possible. There's there's some complex family dynamics here for sure. So uh, the authorities did arrest his father and Pierre Dutilher. It was a double Pierre arrest. Double Pierre arrest. But both were released by September of that year, which it was June, so they were still kept in jail for like four, three, four months. Then they're trying to figure out who Grenier's supposed victims were. They have men whose kids were allegedly eaten by a werewolf or attacked come tell their stories. And there, like I said, had been a lot of wolf attacks around lately. So there's at least a basis in reality here. They do this and Grenier confirms every last detail, basically confessing to each individual attack. Hmm. But the thing is, he's usually either heard the story from out and about already or had heard the victim or victim's family tell the story. So yeah, he already knows it. And he's just kind of repeating it in order to continue to bolster his reputation as the werewolf. It does seem like there were wolf attacks on children in areas where he happened to be throughout his wandering around the country. But that could either be coincidence due to the prevalence of wolf attacks or the court really making sure that all these dates are together in order to prop up a guilty verdict. Yeah, we have to line this up. Oh, your kid does not match any of the dates, so you can go. Exactly, yes. We don't need to hear from you. I do think it's highly likely that he at least accosted, if not assaulted, girls, but I don't think he killed and cannibalized anybody, no. That's, That's my feeling on the matter. And I also don't believe he was a werewolf, just to lay that out there. Oh, throwing that out there? You don't think he was a werewolf? I don't think he was a werewolf. I know, unpopular opinion, right? Hot take coming in, so. There is even an instance where one man said that the the werewolf had tried to snatch the fattest of his children, although the the kid's uncle chased the werewolf away, so there wasn't an actual uh, attack or eating there. It was just an attempt And the judge looks at the man's three children and says, yep, that one's the fattest. (laughs) Now that we've all confirmed which one of your children is the fattest, you can go. (laughs) This is is solid evidence here. You have a a fat child, and therefore he's a werewolf. And and in werewolf standards, I guess that makes sense, because you want the one with the most meat, and fat makes the, the meat very tender. It's just like buying a steak. Sure. And also, that kid probably runs a lot slower than the other two. (laughs) There is that, too. (laughs) It's very insulting to that poor child. (laughs) Well, that poor child's been dead for uh, several hundred years now. Yeah, that's No, I mean the judge is insulting. Oh, yes. (laughs) I mean, Well, the judge has been dead for several hundred years now, too. So neener, neener, neener. Also, I guess we're a little insulting, too. But it's... it's, The judge did it to his face. (laughs) Yes. So, far worse. At least he's worse than us. Yeah, well, I'm just pointing out why that's a good choice for a werewolf. Yes, it's logical. It's funny. And also, possibly the youngest of the children, because baby fat being a thing. Maybe still had some baby fat on him, and so that would, again, make him a prime target. 
Potentially. I'm just spitballing here. Potentially. And there were reports that, quote, witnesses said he would never rip their dresses and that their dresses fell off without their knowing how, and he would take them by the throat with his teeth, as a real man would, and not with his paws, like wolves normally do. Have you ever had a, a man take you by the throat with his teeth? Um, I mean, like, I'm into some weird stuff, but, like, his whole mouth can't fit. I regret to inform you that you have never been with a real man, then, <laughs> according to the 17th century witnesses. Oh, so they, they have to, like, dislocate their jaw and make sure they get... Or are we just talking, like, one part... Like, are we talking hickeys or, like, having your entire neck in their mouth? Because I took that as having your entire neck in their mouth. Take them by the throat with his teeth. See, when I think that, I think my brain goes to vampires, actually. And I think kind of the, the neck bite on the, around the carotid. Part. Okay, well, yeah, but, like, I'm thinking like a wolf where they would have your entire neck in their mouth. And in that case, no, I've never been with a man that has a mouth that large. <laughs> um, and honestly, I would be frightened of a man with a mouth that large. It would seem if he could do this and did do this as they reported, then he probably would have killed them in that instance instead of just kind of wrapping his mouth around their neck for a minute and then what? toddling away as their dress falls off? I don't know. No, but so in my head, I'm thinking of it like, have you ever seen two dogs play fighting? Yeah. And usually one of the dogs will get the other one down and kind of put his mouth on their neck yeah. to just be like, I have dominance, oh. and then let them go. And obviously that dominance makes your dress fall off. <laughs> obviously, yes. I think we've cracked the case, yes. So he's that's just, what happened. He's just showing dominance. And in, in his essay that I mentioned earlier, that'll be in the sources, of course, Lou Rickby notes the sexual undercurrents that run through these reports. Oh, well, obviously. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, your dress just fell off. Yes, yes. Of course much. there's a sexual undercurrent. <laughs> yeah. Then they, they actually did some kind of sort of modern type stuff as far as this ongoing investigation is concerned. They take him to the spots where he supposedly ate children and whatnot, which are just peppered throughout the region. And then they even do a sort of lineup where they have some of the people who had witnessed this identify him, although it, it does seem to still be just a one-man lineup, and that one man is Jean Grenier. So there is that. They even get a little forensic with it. They take a look at Marguerite's supposed werewolf wound. Oddly, they cannot find the wolf skin anywhere, and yet it hung around in the local folklore for centuries, even into the 19th century. It still continued locally to be a part of local legends and folklore about this wolf skin that Jean Grenier had. No, it's probably in someone's attic. Pro oh, sure, yeah. If it existed. I was going to say, because it totally existed. Mm -hmm. He's pretty much at this point, as the numbers have increased, he's confessed to five murders and two assaults, in addition to cannibalism and witchcraft. The witchcraft being the far worse of all the charges, of course. Oh, of course. And there was actually one report that said he admitted to eating 50 children. I love how exaggerated things get. Yeah. But I also wouldn't put it past him is, is another thing. he very well could have said that. And I had to have been at least 50. I love the taste of small young children. <laughs> yes. They're so delicate and tender. It seems like Grenier pretty much became the very willing scapegoat for the area's issues with animal attacks 
And everyone seemed to buy it. People claimed that they'd seen him running around as a wolf. This sort of just became a certainty in people's minds. It became matter of fact. Well, of course, yes, Jean Grenier was running around. Seen it myself, yes. Yes, of course. And he is convicted. Then the case goes to the regional appeals court so that they can take a look at it. And this is the court of final appeals at this time. So it's kind of last chance. So. Jonier is put in the custody of some monks temporarily. They call in some doctors to give their assessments, and their their diagnoses kind of fall on opposite sides of the line. They both say that this child is clearly melancholic, which is mentally ill. And but one of them also says, well, he's also clearly in the service of the devil and doing the witchcraft. He said that he had found a devil's mark on Grenier, also called a witch's mark, which, like we said, sort of seals the deal of service to the devil. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the devil's mark, because I found some interesting stuff here that fascinated me. The method of making the mark was either to rake the the claw, the devil raked his claw across the initiate's flesh, or branded them with a hot iron. I guess, you know, depending on how I was feeling that day. Depending on your claws. I mean, if you just got your claws done, you don't want to mess them up. Exactly. Yeah. You spend a lot of money on that, Manny. So, (laughs) and so it could look like a mole, a skin tag, an extra nipple, even a rash. But true experts could tell the difference, of course, between an actual devil's mark and something that your dermatologist maybe needs to keep an eye on or prescribe some cream uh, okay. for. So anybody with a mole is now at risk of being accused of having made a deal with the devil. Is yes, exactly. Third nipple, devil. Here is a really fascinating theory. These have developed from the idea put forth a few decades ago that those accused of witchcraft actually had encephalitis. This theory takes the encephalitis idea and runs with it, positing that the devil's mark aspect of witch hunts could be just one of several pieces of evidence in a theory that points towards witches actually suffering from Lyme disease in some cases. So devil's mark could be either tick bites or the bullseye rash that is a standard symptom of Lyme disease. Some of the accused in many of these cases seem to have arthritic and neurological symptoms that are also seen in the progression of Lyme disease. Witch hunts tended to happen in what what are called tick risky areas. And think about it, cow herds. You're out there in the pastures. It's going to be ticky out there. And the devil's mark doesn't appear in Europe until after Columbus came to America So there's the possibility that Europeans returning from America at some point brought Lyme disease back with them. Hmm. Well, ticks or something Lyme disease bearing. It's really fascinating to me because I hadn't heard that theory. And I was just looking at the Wikipedia article about about devil's marks just to get a little more background there. And when I saw the Lyme disease theory, I was like, that actually makes a lot of sense. And also, Columbus, you're a dick. Yes, yes. There's also that. It's one more thing we can blame on Columbus. Yeah. And we like doing that. I I am perfectly happy to blame pretty much all the horrible things on Christopher Columbus. Sure. I'm with you. I'm with you. Of course, the Lyme disease idea doesn't explain all the witch hunts or uh, obviously excuse any of them. And it could also be concurrent 
with the more sociological theories about women, vulnerable populations being the targets of witch hunts, witch hunts being started up due to property disputes because, hey, if, you know, Bob over there is burned at the stake, we can maybe get his house for cheap. Yeah. (laughs) Stuff like that. I feel like they would still do it now if they could. If they could, they absolutely would. Yes. So that's just my my little interesting sidetrack on uh, the devil's marks. It's such a fascinating theory, and it's just going to be on my mind so much. (laughs) Back to Grenier. The second doctor says, well, okay, he's got the devil's mark slash mole slash third nipple slash Lyme disease. And both of the doctors record that Grenier seems pretty dazed and out of it. They also say that intellectually he was about seven or eight instead of 13, with the physical appearance of a 10-year-old due to malnutrition. Then they turn their opinions over to the judges. There are a dozen or more judges in this appellate court, and they're also feeling pretty indecisive. (laughs) The two general camps seem to go as follows. Camp 1. He confessed to being a werewolf, and therefore he must be a werewolf, so we have to execute him. Camp 2. Okay, so look, maybe werewolves exist, but even if they do, they don't generally walk up to people and confess, so he's probably lying. And it's here that witchcraft and lycanthropy get even more tangled together from the the court's viewpoint. It seems like we really have cemented this idea that lycanthropy is like a gift from the devil or something attained through witchcraft. They sort of end up with giving him a, what we would consider a verdict of not guilty by mental incompetence in the end, or sort of... I, I love, I love what the president of the court said, that he was merely a feeble-brained imbecile who had hallucinations, and that he was not under any influence of the devil. These judges really enjoyed insulting people. They got, they got their rocks off on that, I swear. What? Feeble-brained imbecile. That, that, that's horrifying language from the judge, but it's of the time for sure. He's an idiot that hallucinates. Guys, this is obviously not the work of the devil. There's something wrong with this kid. Exactly. Like, <laughs> at, at the same time as this judge is, is using really terrible language, he's also very correct that this is all just lies or some mental sort of illness a mental or, illness yeah. a, a very fertile fertile imagination well yeah i mean if he had the the mental acuity of like a seven or eight year old yeah like seven and eight year olds are going to just make shit up yes absolutely <laughs> and so i consider the verdict uh judging by their 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 language in it not guilty because he didn't know enough about God to resist Satan, so we need to save his young soul. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That we, must be it. One judge said it was to save his soul for God rather than judge it to be lost. So he really ends up with a life sentence, but he's going to serve it in a Franciscan monastery in Bordeaux. So he can learn about God. Yes, so that he can resist the devil. But there is also the caveat that uh, there's a death sentence waiting for him if he ever so much as tries to escape. So they're not really fooling around here. The monks told stories about him running around like a dog and that he ran better that way than on two legs and that during his initial time there, he wouldn't eat anything but raw meat and entrails. His father... 
did come to visit him several times, but Grenier hid from him, would not talk to him. He blamed the whole werewolf thing on his father, said it was his father's fault, and that his father was still a werewolf while he himself was in recovery. He was a non-practicing werewolf. Non-practicing werewolf. I like it. Yeah. So historian uh, Dr. Jan McCusen analyzes the connection between Jean Grenier's relationship with his father and his confessions of werewolf activity. And he says this, Jean's feelings toward his family and his father in particular were complex. A desire for closeness conflicted with the reality of domestic violence. Jean's stories may have been fantastical and almost lethal, but they also transformed his father's aggression into a bonding exercise. The same fantasy also gave voice to his feelings of abandonment, blaming them on his father's wolf-like transgressions. And Jan Mikusen seems to be the, the world's expert on Jean Grenier. It was his interview on not just the Tudors podcast that I first heard about this case, and several, a couple of my articles in my sources are by him. He's, he's the leading Jean Grenier expert. But I don't think that this whole relationship thing, it doesn't excuse anything he did, especially if he was attacking girls, but it does help us more fully understand why he would come up with this story. Because it it takes his crappy relationship with his father and sort of puts it into a better light. And also it, it helps him deal with his feelings of abandonment. It, there's, there's a lot there. It, it's complex. So, I want to talk about another Pierre. Let's talk about another Pierre. <laughs> another Pierre. Pierre de Lancre. No, I didn't pronounce that right. De Lancre. I hate, I hate when it has to end with the guttural, but I listened to like five pronunciations of it, <laughs> and they all had that. I was just going to like brutalize it and be like de Lancre. <laughs> de Lancre. Pierre de Lancre from South Dakota. Hey, you never know. <laughs> so... He was born in Bordeaux in 1553. He went to the College of Clermont in Paris, got his doctorate of laws in 1579, then went back to Bordeaux as a lawyer. And don't worry, we're going to connect him with Jean Grenier, but there's a, it's a little bit of a trail there because we have to talk about some of his doings because this gets interesting. Yeah. So he may have sub subscribed to the belief that the following populations of people serve the devil, in addition to, of course, witches. Atheists, philosophers, Protestants, and Jews. Of course. Of course. There it is. He wrote what is called a 1,000-page essay, and I would like to have a word with whoever is calling a 1,000 pages an essay. That is several books. Yeah, that is, that is no longer an essay. An essay is like maybe like three pages... Ten at most, I think anything after that is, is pushing it. Yes, absolutely. But uh, Dr. Gary Zabel describes this as being focused on, quote, the vice of inconstancy, which he especially attributes to women. Mm -hmm. We're always just the worst, aren't we? We are the worst. He's described by a, a historian as libidinous and sensual, Narrow-minded, sectarian, and stubborn. He is Frollo from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. He's even French. There you go. <laughs> there we go. 
He was appointed uh, as a judge in Bordeaux in 1582. And then several years later, in 1608, King Henry IV of France gave him the job of checking out the supposed witchcraft problem in the Laborde region. Bad call. This is ridiculous. So apparently a few supposed witnesses came forward. They were either noblemen or sailors, one of the two, claiming that they'd been to the area and it was just teeming with witches. This is witch country right here. So somebody walked around, couldn't get laid, and then was like, all these women are witches. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's almost definitely it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I walked around shaking my dick at these ladies and they ran away. Witches. Witches, all of them. If you don't like my dick, you're a witch. Also, this was in the Spanish-speaking Basque country. So you have that aspect of it. Probably some racism, something like that in there, too. And he put his philosophical thoughts on women into practice here. Later writing about (laughs) the opposite of what Amber said. How the women and girls in the board love to talk about all the dirty sex they were having with demons. But it's with demons and not, you know, a sailor or nobleman reporting to the king. So, Well, you know what? Maybe the demon really cares if they get off too. Maybe, yeah. Maybe the demon is just as interested in their pleasure as he is in his own. Take that, sailors. (laughs) (laughs) These women were also said to be completely immodest with indecent headdresses. Okay. And provocative clothing. I don't know how you make a headdress indecent. I don't. I, did it have little penises all over it? Nipples. <laughs> nipples. Had to be nipples. <laughs> it looked like a boob. There you go. <laughs> it, was, it was two boobs with nipple tassels. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And no man could obviously look away from the, the titty head wraps. <laughs> These horrible women. Just, they'd put their heads down and make the tassels do their little dance. <laughs> And, and the men would be just hypnotized by the titty tassels and witches. <laughs> it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Oh, thank you for making the indecent headdresses into a whole thing. I can make shit up too. <laughs> and provocative clothing. Yes, you can. Much like I'm sure Delonc did. And speaking of making shit up, the area's main produce was apples. So he says, of course, that makes all the women there act all Eve-like. Don't let this guy into the produce section of a grocery store. He'll accuse every woman trying to just pick some freaking fruit uh, of being a witch. A witch! Witches, all of them. Look at them near the produce. They want to eat from the tree. That one picked up a banana. That would blow his mind. It would, absolutely. He is, of course... Looking for the devil's mark in his investigations, interrogations, and torture. Now, even though his investigation was officially restricted to witchcraft, he did say that he'd found evidence of lycanthropy and vampirism there, and also said that basically every single person in the whole area was a witch. Everybody. As far as the eye can see, witch, 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 witch. Or vampire, or werewolf. And a witch. And a witch. (laughs) There's another witch. There's another witch. They're everywhere. He specifically liked to get children five and older to give testimony on all the witchy shit they had seen. Indeed. Indeed. So I know that nobody listening really knows my six-year-old personally, 
But that child would have me burned at the stake in a day. <laughs> yes, she absolutely would. Yeah, you would be first on the stake if they talked to her. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, she, she would tell strangers that I was not her real mother. Her real mother was dead and lived inside a porcelain doll and also sometimes on the moon. But I was never her real mother. The fact that I have not had the police called on me while grocery shopping still astounds me. Because <laughs> she's just walking around like this creepy little child. This isn't my real mom. <laughs> oh, God. My real mom is in this doll. <laughs> like, <sighs> the fact. of course he wants kids as witnesses. They're assholes. <laughs> the fact that you haven't had the cops called on you in the grocery store yet. <laughs> I, I don't take her anymore. I can't blame you one bit. She talks to everybody, and she's very frightening. You never know what's going to come out of her mouth. <laughs> oh, that would be so nerve-wracking. So uh, DeLong ex- examines the witches, and they confess about their witchy schedule. Lots of scheduling going on here. These people had, like, day planners. That, it's it's a Witchy thing. day planner. Witchy day planner. We should have that. It's the season. It is the season. It's spooky ween. That previously, in the olden times, Monday night had been witch night, or the Sabbath, when they all got together and did their stuff, and they would get naked and dance with the devil, but nowadays there were so many witches that they needed two nights, so they got together on Wednesday and Friday. So they gave up Monday entirely for two separate days. Yeah, I don't know why you don't just add Wednesday or Friday, but... Yeah, I feel like you just add them. It's bad scheduling. Yeah, yeah, it is bad scheduling. If Monday worked for a while, just add another day that works for people. I don't know. So (laughs) they needed a scheduler. They needed a witchy scheduler. Here's a a whole bunch of stuff about these witch meetings because it gets bonkers. And I love it. That's my favorite kind of witch meeting. So usually they would gather at a crossroads, but sometimes they went off to a heath, which they'd named Aquilar, which he then calls or somebody tells him is called Lan du Boc or Heath of the Goat. And that is my new bar name. Heath of the Goat. Heath of the Goat. Goats figure in here a lot. They would also mean at castle ruins, private homes, an old cemetery. It's really funny how divergent all this testimony is about the meeting place. But that, that's, I'm sure, easily explainable by the fact that it's a bunch of bullshit. So if Satan himself wasn't in attendance, then a little devil stood in for him. Just everybody pictured the little tiny, like, two-foot-tall cartoon devil. Yes. (laughs) That is exactly what I pictured. Every description of the devil is, of course, different. He's a giant goat. He's a huge tree trunk with a scary face. Or he's a big man wrapped in a dark cloud. Or he's a big black dog. But we have a description straight from Delonc here. Oh, good. Here we go. Okay. This is going to be good. I've been waiting for this. He has before him his member hanging out, which he exhibits always a cubit in length. I looked it up at 17.49 inches. Holy shit! And he has a great tail behind, with a form of a face under it, with which face he does not utter a word. But it serves only to offer to kiss those he likes, honoring certain witches of either sex more than others. Okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, we are indeed kissing the devil's ass. I was going to say, because under the tail, that's not mm-hmm. a face. That's an anus. Yeah. We're kissing the devil's ass. I like you. Toss this salad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. Isn't it? <laughs> 
Uh, this is why we do this podcast. It's for crazy shit like this. That is his exact freaking word. Like, translate it. Under his tail, he had another face. That face only those he enjoyed would kiss. Exactly. Yes. Devil dancing around with his 18-inch dick swinging <laughs> and be like, hey, I like you. Lick my asshole. Come on. <laughs> Get in here. She's literally it's a party. dancing and bouncing around on my couch right now. I'm swinging my fake dick, too. <laughs> she Don't is, forget yeah. that. <laughs> Her arms in there just going back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> so like I said, these meetings were called the Sabbath, and they went like this. First, witches would bring all the newbies up to meet the devil. So here's our here's our... New population here is, you know, Sarah, and she's a seamstress in town, and she would like to be part of our uh, witch group. So what do you say, devil? Can she uh, toss your salad? So. And the devil spins around and lifts his tail. Indeed. And then they had to renounce Christ, the Virgin Mary, and the saints. And then after that, they did sort of a parody of baptism. And uh, what do you think? No, I shouldn't ask you that. I'm just going to tell you. He came all over their chest. No, see, that's where I thought you were going to go. Yeah. No, um, holy water is devil's piss. I know. Uh, so he peed all over their chest. Essentially, yes. So R. Kelly was a member. <laughs> yes. Yep, absolutely. And then they kissed the devil on the face or under the tail or it just says otherwise. And I think we nah, know what otherwise is. We know is. what otherwise is. Mm-hmm. Next comes the honoring of the children, because, of course, people are bringing children to these meetings to initiate them with the devil. That happens in a stream that wasn't mentioned at all in any of the previous locales that we listed. And the children are given white wands and told to take care of the toads at the stream because they're vital to witchcraft. And they would also sometimes baptize the toads. So just devil comes up and pisses all over the toads, I guess, for funsies. He probably just had too much to drink and had to piss somewhere. But they're like, look, he's baptizing them. There you go. And the devil's like, yeah, sure, kid, whatever. (laughs) That's what's happening. Whatever whatever helps you sleep at night. In some cases, they had to do the ceremony with the renouncing and the kissing on repeated occasions. One 16-year-old girl, quote, said that he made her repeatedly go through the ceremony of kissing him on the face and afterwards on the navel, then on the viral member, then on the posteriors. So face, stomach, dick, asshole. Yes, exactly. She must have been a really good kisser. She must have been. He really, he really liked her. Finally, we get the devil's mark, which is generally put somewhere that the public won't see. For women, quote, on or within the sexual parts. Oh, yeah? I don't like it. So he used this as an excuse to basically sexually assault women. Yeah, most likely, yes. No, we're not talking about the devil here. We're talking about DeLonk, but they're yeah. interchangeable at this point in my mind. Yes. Yeah, so, so DeLonk <laughs> is like, it's probably inside of him. Let me take a look. Yep. I'll find that mark. Yeah, what a, what a fucking dick. What a guy, huh? So in DeLonk's retelling of what the confessions had to say about the Sabbath, he said it, quote, resembled a fair of merchants mingling together, furious and in transports, arriving from all parts, a meeting and mingling of a hundred thousand subjects, sudden and transitory, novel, it is true, but of a frightful novelty which offends the eye and sickens you. It's a big fair. It's a big festival, essentially. And even the merchants come and, and sell, their, sell their stuff there. He went on to say that he saw figures that were, quote, displeasing, full of deformity and horror, 
tending only to desolation, privation, ruin, and destruction, where the persons become brutish and, transformed to beasts, lose their speech while they are in this condition, and the beasts, on the contrary, talk and seem to have more reason than the persons, each being drawn out of his natural character. Speaking of fertile imaginations... Yeah, so um, he went to a fair and he saw carnies for the first time. And then he felt like he should write a whole dissertation insulting them. Maybe he also licked a toad. Could have licked a toad. I bet he licked a toad. It was probably covered in uh, devil's piss. That's how the, the the toads get into this whole narrative, too. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. <sighs> Who's hallucinating now? Yeah. Everyone went to these Sabbaths from children to priests. And apparently, Satan, for his favored few, launches some of them up like rockets. Okay. Yeah, just 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 tosses them at light speed through the air, and then they rocket back down to the ground. It's uh, so absurd. It is it is absurd. Although I still enjoy the mental image of everybody having to toss a double <laughs> salad. I know. There are also some sort of fake fires, and the witches could walk through them painlessly, which apparently is supposed to make them unafraid of hellfire. So just just getting ready for the eventual hellfire. So is this like the walking on coals, but like the first iteration of it? Something like that, or maybe not. Walking on coals has probably been around for longer than that. It's these fake fires that are painless to walk through. So it, it's sort of practicing, I guess. Oh, let's practice walking through hellfire. Yeah. Okay. And there's dancing, of course. The demons hold the women's hands and teach them, quote, movements and gestures so lascivious and indecent that they would horrify the most shameless woman in the world. Yeah, he's got a lot. So, one woman said that the devil had, quote, taken her maidenhead, but she really tried to avoid it after that because it was super painful since his dick was covered in fish scales. And 18 inches long. Oh, but when it was extended, it was a yard long. Oh. Also twisted. Oh, like a corkscrew. Yeah. Like 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 a a dolphin. Like a duck. (laughs) <laughs> like a duck penis. I think dolphins have corkscrews, too. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, know, I know from experience that, that ducks can be assholes, and I think that dolphins can also be assholes. So, yeah. And that, uh, quote, what came from him was cold. Hmm. Yeah. And it never resulted in pregnancy. Seems like a bonus to me, but... Um, <laughs> He also had her copulate with her relatives, and there's just tons of incest mentions throughout the confessions. He really likes to bring up the incest and then go into detail every time on multiple occasions of what family members were copulating with what family members. It's sort of an obsession that I don't think casts his psyche in a positive light. Well, his psyche's not in a positive light anyway. No, so. you're you're correct about that. So he's he's like getting off on this. It was like I'm going to write detailed sexual accounts. One hundred percent. He was said to be libidinous by historians, and I think that that comes from accounts like these. Now, this had been going on in the area for a long time before he came there. Came there. He hmm. found a copy of the confession of a 25 year old woman who had made the confession in 1567, and even there we find some devil ass-kissing. Oh. So, yeah. 
Some claim he sentenced 600 to 800 witches to execution, burned at the stake in his four months adjudicating the witchcraft problem in the board. But the actual number, looking back, a lot of historians seem to think it's probably somewhere between 30 and 80, which is still 30 to 80 too many. Yeah, like I I had 600 in my notes um, almost a century before the Salem witch trials took place. What did we learn? Nothing. <laughs> so, getting back to how Delonc is associated with Grenier. The very year after his witch hunt in Le Bourg, Delonc comes back to Bordeaux and visits Grenier, who he is very interested in after all the stories he's heard. So, at this point, Grenier was 20 years old and not in the best condition. He seemed confused. He wouldn't meet DeLonk's eyes. He was pretty rumpled and slovenly looking. This straight from DeLonk. Wild-looking eyes that were sunken and black and completely distraught. And DeLonk attributes this to Grenier's feelings towards his lycanthropic history, rather than having uh, been essentially in a monastery for the past seven years and suffering from mental health issues. He also examines Grenier physically, especially checking out the parts of him that might be more changed by lycanthropy. Quote, he had very long and bright teeth that were wider than normal, protruding somewhat, and rotten and half black from being used to lash out at animals and people. How are they bright and also rotten and half black? Yeah, I don't, I didn't have that. I had that his nails were black and in mm-hmm. places worn away. So I wonder if it got, like, mixed up in the translation. Well, I do have the fingernails thing, too. Yeah. His fingernails were also quite long. Some were completely black from the base to the tip. Even that of the left hand, which the devil prevented him from trimming. But, yeah, no, it'd be impossible for his teeth to be very bright and also rotten and half black. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. And the whole idea that they were being used to lash out at animals and people and that caused their condition. How about the fact that it was a 17th century monastery and if dental care even existed back then, it was probably shit poor, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So Delonc has Grenier run around because of the whole stories that the monks had told of him running on all fours. And he says that Grenier's movements are like that of a greyhound. Grenier, for his part, tells Delonc that he's not a werewolf anymore, although he certainly used to be, but that some of the urges are still there. He wants to eat children, specifically little girls. That has not changed. While Delonc is determined to connect Grenier's supposed lycanthropy to witchcraft, he also mentions, just kind of offhand, that he might think Grenier was using the werewolf thing as a cover for his crimes that perhaps he had murdered young girls, then said, oh, it was because I was a werewolf. And then when he stops being a werewolf, in his mind, and perhaps in the mind of the public, he's no longer to blame. It's just one line where he actually makes perfect goddamn sense. And then the rest is just a bunch of bullshit. (laughs) Just tons and tons of bullshit. So yeah, that I thought was interesting that he actually may have stumbled on something that's closer to possibly the truth. Like I said, I don't think he actually murdered anybody, but it's still debatable, highly debatable. So Grenier, he also said that the Lord of the Forest, 
came and visited him twice while he was in the monastery, but he drove him off with a cross. And that would be the devil who yes. had given him the, the mark on his buttocks or thigh. Yes. Yes, the devil. Yes, he definitely got some religious instruction in order to, you know, drive Satan out. And that, that's probably how he, he managed to recover from the, the werewolfism. So, Jean Grenier died around age 20 in November 1610. Lou Ruick B. describes him as, quote, a pubescent boy, mentally disabled, psychologically troubled, in a distressed condition, cast out from a broken home to fend for himself, with a difficult relationship with his father, to say the least, with unfulfilled romantic longings and a fantasy life that he could not distinguish from reality, a model problem child. And that's how he became the youngest person ever convicted of lycanthropy. I almost feel bad. I, it is tough because he did have a really rough life and you can see where he kind of took refuge in these fantasies and daydreams and tried to use them to make his shitty life seem less shitty even though they were violent but his life had been violent so it seemed like maybe a better violence to him because it made him an interesting figure so so one of the quotes i have from somebody visiting him in the monastery was his mind was completely barren he seemed unable to comprehend the smallest things Wow, yeah. Oh, that's a tough life. And it's like, I almost feel bad for him. He only lived to 20. Like, that yeah. is a very short life. It is. It is a very short life. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a pretty tragic and weird one. And you really think this is one of those cases where we can look at the circumstances of his life and the explanations were not 100%. Are, are from that, but we can definitely make connections like like Jan McEwson did to his, his home life and his relationship with his father and how all of this sort of tended to snowball into this whole, oh, but I'm a werewolf thing. Yeah. So going to recommend, like I mentioned, I, I found this case on the Not Just the Tudors podcast, and I think the episode is titled Early Modern Teenage Werewolf, and the the host... Professor Susanna Lipscomb, she interviews Jan McEwson, and that's where I found this, and it was just a fascinating interview where he talks about those aspects of the case in a much more erudite fashion <laughs> than we ever could. And also, like I said, he seems to be like the one of the big experts on this particular character in history. And so he, he goes into more detail on the, his theories on the relationship with the father and so forth, just stuff that we kind of brushed upon in, in trying to tell the whole history and also talk about uh, tossing the devil's ass. So, salad. Uh, <laughs> whatever. So, yeah, I, I, I recommend that episode. I'll link it in the show notes uh, as well, because it is technically one of my sources. So, but yeah, I'm going to recommend that, because it, if you want to learn more about this and hear more about that aspect of it, definitely fascinating. And overall, just a really good podcast that talks about some interesting aspects of history. Well, really, everyone wants to hear more about tossing the devil's asshole. Well, I don't think they go into that, because... I they should. That That's... <laughs> That's the reason that we didn't delve deep into the psychological stuff. Plus, Jan McEwson does a perfectly good job of it over there. Why should we try to replicate that? We'd just be basically, like, repeating his words, but for the entire episode instead of just a one-block quote. So, yeah, so definitely a, a fascinating interview that, that immediately made me go and put this on the list. I put Jean Garnier, and then I put a little H in parentheses after it. It should be S for Spooky Ween. S for Spooky 
spooky ween. But I use S for solved and U for unsolved in yes. my uh, in my list. So all right. So question for you. Yes. Do you think he even killed anyone? No. No. I don't. You think that he just started bragging and I, then just kept going? I think he's likely to have assaulted some girls. I think that there is that possibility. I don't know. I don't think 100%, but I think it's a strong possibility. But I think that he, I mean, think about it. We have people confess to murders all the time who didn't even do it, who didn't kill anyone. The only reason that this case is different from those is because you add the werewolf thing into the mix. Yes, that's he said, I'm a werewolf. Exactly. It could be very well be just another case of a false confession. What do you think? Yeah, no, I actually, I think it's a, a false confession. I don't think that he even really attacked anybody. I think that he was just trying to impress some girls mm -hmm. and just kept going with it, saw an opportunity to try to get his dad in trouble, tried to take that route. And then at the end of the day, it was just like, you know what? They're feeding me here. I'll stay yeah. here. He also probably really enjoyed the attention after being neglected and then off on his own for three months as so like a 13-year-old wandering the countryside yeah. just trying to survive. Now he's, you know, he's in jail, but he's probably being fed and he's also getting all this attention at court, something that he clearly liked as, as he tried yeah. to insert himself into the conversation with the girls. So that was definitely... Uh, impetus to keep going well and then they put him in a monastery so now he's got like better father figures who are not beating him who are teaching him things and he probably latched onto that and was like nope i'm not a werewolf anymore but i'm gonna stay here yeah yeah absolutely and they probably gave him more attention than he'd gotten at home as well yeah so yeah i think poor he was just, kid yeah i think he was just a poor kid who, who kind of got caught up in the superstition of the day and his, his life was shitty uh, and that was that. Yeah, and he's like, well, it can't be any worse over there. Yeah, I'm aware. Well, I did it. I yeah. did it all. Exactly. You yeah. name it, I did it. Yeah. Two hots and a cot. Three hots and a cot. Three I, hots and a cot. probably give them three meals. Yes, people eat three meals a day, Christy. Um, so, yeah. Regular people do. Yeah, it's the it's the 17th century version of three hots and a cot. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's still people today that will confess to crimes or commit crimes specifically to go to jail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is really a terrifying reflection of our society <laughs> the lack of social safety nets yeah it's absolutely an, an indictment that people are like you know i'd rather be in jail yeah i mean if you're homeless in in a big city in like a northern part of the territory that gets snow and stuff i mean come winter time rob a bank i mean don't encourage i'll encourage all day <laughs> no but i'm just saying there are there are people that will go out and commit crimes specifically just to go to jail or because the the, the possibilities of this ending up are in their heads two ways say you you rob let's say a convenience store all right you might end up with enough money to get you through a couple days or you might end up in jail where you'll be fed and and have a roof over your head either way you're better off than you are right now. Yeah, I mean, if you're at rock bottom, either way is a, a better option than where you're at. Yeah. So. It's amazing how these, how we can connect like a 17th century werewolf boy <laughs> to societal issues and, and things that happen today. It's amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. So think about this. This is a 13-year-old boy who's a little bit behind developmentally. And he's out in the world by himself. He has nobody. He's socially awkward. Nobody likes him. Nobody yeah. wants to talk to him or spend time with him. He's pubescent. He's pubescent. He's probably not eating often. I, I don't even want to say every day, but he's probably only eating like a, a handful of times a week if he's lucky. Yeah. 
And then he sees this opportunity first to try to impress girls, and that doesn't work. It, he ends up getting arrested, and he's like, wait a minute. This is warmer. I have a bed and a blanket, threadbare, but it's a blanket. Better than I had. I'm out of the rain and the elements. I'm not sleeping in like a barn or a field. And they feed me and I have an outfit to wear. And people are paying attention to me. People are fascinated by me. This is kind of great. Yeah, I mean, so to him, I mean, he was at rock bottom. His first plan to impress the girls completely failed. But then the backfire of it was like, hey, this is better than it was. Yeah. I'm just going to keep this up. This is good. And then he essentially uses aspects of his life as inspiration for his continually evolving story of mm-hmm. his lycanthropy and his father being in on it and all that stuff. And there are also, this is some, uh, I didn't mention this, but some writers about this tie his stories to certain events in his life, like his stepmother coming around and, and joining their life. They don't know exactly when the stepmother joined the family, but if it was... That, like, three years ago when he said he first, you know, ran into the, the, the man in the forest, then that could tie in to a time in his life when he felt uh, displaced or unsettled in his home. Yeah, yeah. And it, it could have been just a psychological break, but I think at the end of the day, he just kept with it because it was self-preservation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we solved that case in a very sad way. Werewolves in Paris, guys. <laughs> well, Bordeaux. But still. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, if you enjoyed and were edified by that uh, spooky ween tale of a pretty sad young boy, sorry guys, we brought it down at the end. We had such a we had such a peak, one might say even a climax. When we there ta- was a climax <laughs> when we talked about tossing the devil's salad, and then we we got a little sad, but. Uh, We have our Patreon. You can come on over there, and for five bucks a month, you get five bonus episodes per month. We have over a hundred in total, from small to long, uh, cubit in length, some. Cubit. (laughs) Cubit. I was like, oh my god, I'm Googling cubit, for God's sakes. And when it gets hard, it's a yard. (laughs) When it gets hard, it's a yard. Oh, that's... A t-shirt. That's a t-shirt. That's a t-shirt. I need a coffee mug. So, so yes, you can come over there, patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey, and uh, give it a shot. You know, you can always just not subscribe the next month if you don't like it, but you can, if you like listening to us here, you'll probably like listening to us over there, I'm just going to say. Honestly, if you like listening to us here, it's even better over there. Yeah, and in our episode over there, Amber today uh, told me a story about a plantation and some some many, many, many ghosts there. Lots, yes. There was a poor lady trapped in a mirror and she did not like it. <laughs> so, so yes. Come over and check us out over there. And if you're not the long-term relationship type, you can PayPal us uh, using the email address oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. Leave me a buck on the nightstand, boys. (laughs) And then just sneak out the window. Do your walk of shame. And you can also come over and check us out on our social media where we have stuff related to the case. I don't know how much stuff I have. 
I don't have a ton of pictures for this, but uh, I might throw some true crime memes or something up. I will draw a devil's asshole for you if you'd like. <laughs> you, you would, wouldn't you? Yes. <laughs> I'll enlist some help from Beast. I bet we can make a pretty convincing Satan salad tossing. Maybe maybe we could have a listener art contest. <laughs> there you go. Everybody, draw me pictures of tossing Satan's salad. Just do it. I need it. I need it. You know I moderate the Facebook, and it's going to be hell. <laughs> they can email it to us or just text it to me directly. That'd be I fine, I was going to say, like, the email address also, I monitor that. So. Okay, Facebook on Facebook me, not, not Old Timey Crime, just Facebook me. And, yes, I need to see your drawings of tossing the devil's salad. Oh, dear Lord. So, yeah, you can come. We're Old Timey Crime on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and send Amber, specifically Amber, your pictures of uh, tossing the devil's salad. I need it. She needs it. And uh, we also have an Amazon wish list with books if you would like to buy us a book and we'll do a case uh, on that particular story. So you can do that as well. And oh, also come over to Short Story, Short Podcast, where a friend of the show, Chris Garcia, he and I talk about short stories. We have a couple really interesting ones coming up because I found this short story that was bonkers and weird and wonderful and i'll tell you about it after the show because i don't want to spoil but spoiler yeah, we're, we're talking about some really fun short stories and we have a really great time doing that so yeah uh if i have any more bullshit i can't remember so uh amber what you doing this week what am i doing this week i am uh continuing to work myself to death the ongoing saga. Yeah, I, uh, I've i been going for a new high score every week, and uh, I hit 65 hours this week, I think. Oh, dear God. And uh, probably about the same next week. So it, it, it's a good time to be had by none. And, um, <laughs> and other than that, I'm just Christmas shopping. Oh, yeah. So I started doing that. Uh, it's, it's too early even for me. But just with the, the news about shortages and things taking a long time to get here, I kind of got paranoid. So I started doing a little bit of shopping, not much, but just so I have at least some things. Yeah, I'm doing a little bit of the same, too. Um, just so trying to do it slowly, but also not putting it off as long as I normally would. Yeah, like, because I, 10 years ago, I would wait until Christmas Eve and then do it all in one shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so every year I get a little bit better where, like, every paycheck I'll grab a couple things. And then that way, come Christmas, I'm not, like, blowing an entire paycheck on Christmas like I usually do. So I, I'm working on it. I'm yeah. trying to be better at adulting. And I'm really bad at it, guys. I'm so sorry. I am terrible at it, too. You're not alone. Uh, I have had a long-term goal for the past two months, I think, maybe maybe a little less than that, of cleaning up my half of the office. It is... I managed to get what you can see one part of my desk now. I managed to do that, but it's just it's just hard with my back and stuff. So yeah, that's that's on my list for this week. But speaking of my back, hips, whatever the hell is wrong with me, um, I do have uh, one of my six month pain management uh, appointments this week. So we're gonna see what other options they have. They mentioned a shot. I think I'm guessing probably a steroid shot because we tried another one that it was like an epidural or something that didn't work. And so, uh, but I've heard that some people get relief from that. Because I do have some, like, pain relief stuff that works. But it's um, it's the kind of pain relief I can only really do at home because it affects me mentally. So I I need to be able to go out in the world and and live my life. (laughs) And so, so yeah, I'm I'm 
kind of looking forward to that in a weird way, just finding out what the next step might be. I'm also kind of worried about them suggesting surgery at some point, but we'll see what happens. I know they're trying to, to avoid that for as long as possible because I'm just too young. <laughs> I'm just too young for this shit. So yeah, that is my week, uh, pain management and office cleaning. We're so exciting. We're very exciting, yes. Oh my god, we, uh, we're the olds. We're definitely the olds. We're getting there. We're definitely getting there. Yeah, yeah. So I had a moment, I, I put it in our Discord, but I'll recount it for our, our listeners, where I was listening, I put on a true crime podcast, and in the, the, in the description it said it was a, a turn-of-the-century crime. So I'm all excited, like, hey, yay, it's old-timey, okay, great. I mean, I listen to modern crime, too, but I, I get a little more excited when it's old-timey and wondering what case it is. And uh, then the, the narrator said, you know, in, in May of 1999, and I went, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I read something recently where somebody was like, you know, you were born in the 1900s. And I was like, oh, I really hate that. <laughs> yeah. It makes us sound like we're 120. <laughs> I feel like I'm 120 some days. Some days, too, yeah. No, there's been a thing that I've I've been seeing for, I, I'm sure it's been around for a really long time, but it's just now popping up on my social media, where it's people like, so me singing the song when I was 13 and then realizing what the lyrics mean when I'm an adult, and I was like, oh God, I was already in my 20s when this came out, when you were 13? Yeah. Oh, how old are you? Like, how old am I? Like, but... It is really funny to imagine all these, like, 10-year-olds singing, a, like, my neck, my bag. Like, not that song <laughs> in particular, but songs similar to that and then realizing 15 years later what they were singing about. Yeah, that is hilarious. I'm, I'm sure there were some songs that I sang. I can't remember specifically, but I'm sure there were some songs that I sang that had inappropriate lyrics that I'm only just getting. Well, even now when they come on, I sing along because I remember them. And then I'm like, oh, my God, did I sing this in Oh, no wonder my parents got mad when I played the radio. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, when you can actually look back on your parents and their feelings in your youth towards things that you did, and you're like, oh, now I understand it. That's yeah, when you know I understand old. now. Yeah. I should not be singing about jumping on things when I was 10. Yeah. <laughs> Jump on it. So that has been our show for this week. We hope you have all had a lovely week and we'll have a wonderful weekend. And we would like to thank you, as always, for listening to our spooky words, this spooky ween. They also got pretty filthy in there, so <laughs> our filthy words, our filthy spooky words. I'm going to keep it filthy. Oh, yes, of course. I. Have... <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> That's what I do. We got to live up to the tagline, man. So... Uh, we will see you next week, or if you're on the Patreon, we'll see you on Tuesday. Bye! Bye! My sources this week are Jan McHewson on notevenpast.org and on Taylor and Francis Online. The book, The Cultural Construction of Monstrous Children, Essays on Anomalous Children from 1595 to the Present Day by Simon Bacon and Leo Ruickby. Uh, the Wikipedia article on the Witch's Mark. Lapham's Quarterly, Gary Zabel's essay on witchcraft in the occult 1400-1700, Richard Payne Knight, uh, Pierre Delonc's full account of the witch's Sabbath and the salad tossing, and like, like I mentioned, I learned of the case on the Not Just the Tudors podcast where Professor Susanna Lipscomb interviewed Jan McHewson. 
and told me how to pronounce his name in doing so. All right, so I was going to say, so I, my first source is not even passed.org by Jan McHughson, but I was totally going to say Jan Michelson. Exactly what I was going to say. That's I actually listened to the first part of the podcast because I was like, pretty sure that he pronounces it differently. And I'm going to go ahead and listen to the, uh, yeah, and I yep. got the pronunciation and I actually like wrote it, wrote it down in my notes phonetically. <laughs> so Jan Nicholson, <laughs> um, the history collection by Tim Flight, Bella Online by Dina Budd, occultworld.com and werewolves.com. Werewolves.com. I had to. Of course. It gave me barely anything that I needed, but I loved it. <laughs> I can't. I can't stop picturing the devil with his eighteen-inch schlong yeah. and his 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 face under his tail. Yep. Oh, that's amazing.